Hello and welcome to the podcast hour. My name is Philboyd Studge the third. I am here to greet you and read you the prologue to my new novel, As Much Protein as an Egg. I'll be releasing the director's cut of this novel. Some of you might have read the final version, and now it's time to reclaim the director's cut. This is the prologue. As much protein as an egg is an expression used on the front of cereal boxes in the year this book was written. It is property of the Kashi brand company. This use is not meant to imply any relationship, impropriety, or connection to the good people at Kashi. They do make a nice breakfast cereal. In the year this book was written, people had grown tired of the blatant and large-scale lies of former advertisers. They did not expect to become champions or winners or even healthy just from consuming a certain product. No, that ship had sailed after years and years of lies. Now they wanted to control their own destinies and micromanage every detail of their rise toward health, wealth, and happiness. They planned to do this now by monitoring their intake of substances called carbs, fat, and protein. Calories, too. Calories were very important. People knew that was only part of the story. People calculated the number of calories they needed, wanted, and exceeded. Some states made laws that their fast food restaurants had to tell you how many calories were in each item on the menu. All of this management of consumption The micromanagement of success was made possible by much more complex lies than the old ones. You see, consumers spent a lot more time now in the company of vast stores of information. They did this by visiting the Internet. The Internet wasn't really a place so much as an unlimited collection of information curated and created by just about everybody out there. By out there... People understood this to mean the whole wide world, if not more. Seriously, there was stuff on the internet from all corners of the earth. You could look at the view out a window in Calcutta, or read what a Lebanese grocer from Kathmandu had for lunch. These were the wonders of the internet. There was a great deal of dieting information on the internet. This was because everyone wanted to have washboard abs. That was a given. Your life would always be that much better if you could have washboard abs. Just look at the magazines. People in the United States sure did. Really. Earth was a planet with human beings on it. It was the third planet in our solar system, which was in the Milky Way galaxy. Milky Way was also the name of a sweet chocolate candy bar with lots of caramel and nougat. Earth is still here. Don't worry. People calculated all of the necessary information about their diets by using smartphones. They kept track of everything they ate. Originally, phones were for talking and having conversations with people you couldn't see. Now phones were smart, and you could carry them everywhere. You could see the people you were talking to on them as well, even if they weren't with you. What else? 
These devices could do just about everything, really. And they could also tell you just how much protein you should consume. They could keep track of sugars, cholesterol, and calories, all components of a daily diet. They could even tell you how many steps you took in a given day. When this book was written, people drank coconut water. This came from the inside of young coconuts. Where those coconuts all came from all of a sudden, nobody stopped to ask. People drank company, people drank coconut water because a company told them that coconut water had as much potassium as a banana. Nobody kept track of how much potassium they needed, not until the good people who sold coconut water told them it was important. This was a good new lie that people believed. Plenty of bananas still got eaten too. They had potassium, sure, but they also tasted good. So did the coconut water. The author of this book, which is to say me, drinks coffee. I drink coffee. Coffee is a drink with a chemical in it called caffeine. Caffeine has the property of helping people like the author sit upright in chairs when they would rather be sleeping. This helps them be very productive members of society. No matter what they're doing, sitting upright in a chair with a computer in front of them leads to higher levels of productivity. This is a known and accepted fact far and wide. The author of this book didn't used to drink coffee. Oh no. He used to sleep like a normal person, wake up and sit in front of his computer without it. He did this for long stretches of time and was very productive, even if he occasionally took naps. Naps are good. Really. Always. But this was all in the days... before he, which is to say me, before I decided to reproduce. Reproducing means to bring into the world a much smaller human being by means of sexual intercourse. Sexual intercourse is fucking. After sexual intercourse, if you hoped to reproduce and got lucky, the woman became pregnant, which meant she could eat things she normally wouldn't eat and get really big around the middle. For these and other reasons, pregnant women were actually very happy. Making a baby inside of you was also a big part of pregnancy. It was the main part. This was no easy task. To have another person growing from tiny cells to a much bigger being inside of you hurt, made you throw up a lot, and made you really tired. It also made your feet bigger. This was a lot of work. Human beings had sexual intercourse all the time. They did it especially when they didn't want to have a baby. They just did it because it felt good. Boy, did it! Most human beings tried their best to spend as much of their time having sexual intercourse as possible. Seven months ago, the lovely woman I live with gave birth to a baby girl. She is our daughter. A baby girl is a small female person who wakes up in the middle of the night and demands to be fed at all hours. Baby girls don't care what their diet consists of. They just want a full belly. Generally, it's breast milk or formula that fills up the belly of a seven-month-old girl. Formula is a fake form of breast milk that you make by mixing white powder and warm water. Babies really drink that. Can you imagine? Breast milk comes from the boobs of adult women. Grown men spend a lot of time thinking about, looking at, and sometimes even touch these boobs. 
I could draw you a picture of an adult woman's boob, but I'm told you that won't work in this format. It's really too bad about that. You'll just have to imagine. One thing about coffee is that it can upset your stomach. You have to be careful. The author of this book loves coffee for the caffeine and the fact that it can help him sit upright in front of his computer. But sometimes his stomach gurgles and doesn't feel good if he drinks coffee on an empty stomach. The good people of Kashi may or may not realize that their cereal is actually very good buffer for coffee. Eggs sure are healthy and filled with protein, but they don't help your but they don't help protect your stomach from gurgles the way cereal does. A new slogan for the front of a box of Kashi cereal could be Buffers your stomach for gurk Buffers your stomach for coffee. That message would get people like the author of this book to eat more Kashi cereal, but it would also probably lose some of the kid audience, who sure eats a lot of cereal too. This book is my 40th birthday present to myself. That's right, I'm turning 40, just like the book Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut, which is one of my favorites. Of all his novels, Wikipedia graded Wikipedia says Vonnegut graded Breakfast of Champions as a C. Slaughterhouse-Five and Cat's Cradle both got A-pluses. Sometimes writers can be really hard on themselves. See? I would give Breakfast of Champions an A. At the age of 40, I am kind of old to have only recently helped to produce a small child. She is my first. I took a long time to get this far in the reproduction department. Still, they say 40 is the new 30, right? Really, I am very happy to be a father now. I'd like to dedicate this book to my daughter. Here's looking at you, kid. Philboyd Studge III. And this is me now, your friend, Seth Harwood, the podcasting evangelist, the writer formerly known as Seth Harwood. Formerly known as Phil Boyd Studge the Third, formerly known as Richie Rich, formerly known as the future urban crime kingpin. Do you remember all those things? Oh, I'm here from the basement again. I'm going to give you a little bit of chapter one of this and then talk about the story Tuesday and a few other things that are going on. Remember, this is the director's cut of as much protein as an egg. So I've reinserted some of the stuff that uh, the Vonnegut estate and Kindle Worlds, a division of Amazon Publishing, did not love. Here is chapter one opening. Chapter one. This is a book about a white man named Artemis Kellogg. He lived in a city out west called San Francisco. Here, white people bought houses and condominiums to live in. And condominiums to live in, or they rented out apartments. They bought these up or rented them far and wide, all across the city, pushing people with darker skin away from the places where they had lived for years. The darker people relocated to new buildings farther away and in worse condition than their old ones. They had fixed up their old buildings that the white people now tore down and reconstructed from scratch to better suit their new needs. 
In actuality, the new needs of the white people were really the same old needs the darker people had, but fancier. For the most part, the darker people now moved to places that even darker people had once lived. This made the even darker, darkest people angry. These were black people. They weren't really black, but this is what they were called. The black people had once been slaves to a group of white men a long time ago in a different part of the country. They were still mad about it, rightly so, but that is another story. Here in San Francisco, the darker people, but not the darkest, were mostly called Mexicans. Some of these people were actually recent immigrants from Mexico, which is to say that some of them actually were Mexican. These immigrants, who were brown people, okay, we'll just call them that, they didn't concern themselves with small moves. They were happy to be in this city, in America, whether they were here legally or not, because they made money that seemed like a great deal of money to someone back home. Of course, everything here cost an astronomical amount more than things did in Mexico, so they lived hard lives here, especially compared to the white people. Artemis Kellogg had once had the last name Kirkland. That was his father's name. His father's people had taken the name a long time ago when they moved across the country at great expense and personal risk of danger to find their fortune and make it out west. Ultimately, they ended up following a man named Kirk and settling in a small town where they became school teachers and made no fortune at all. Where Kirk led them became a town known as Kirkland. Some of the children that Kellogg's ancestors taught grew up to some of the children that Kellogg's ancestors taught grew up to make a store, which grew and grew and eventually became an empire called Costco. Because these people were very proud of where they came from, they named everything at Costco after their parents' hometown, Kirkland. This was why Artemis Kellogg had to change his last name, because he didn't like his friends making jokes about his name and associating it with a huge store where you could buy everything from filet mignon to cheap underwear. None of the people who shopped in this giant store of the Inland Empire liked to shop there. They made jokes to their friends about the torture of these trips, the size of the peanut butter jars they brought home, and how they could get lost in the aisles. They said things like, I'll have to get a new garage to store all this toilet paper that I bought at Costco. The brand of the toilet paper was Kirkland. That's part of why Artemis Kellogg had to change his last name. People went to Costco and bought gigantic television sets they could barely fit into their living rooms, and loaves of bread they stored in their garages, and jars of peanut butter that didn't fit on their shelves, and mounds of guacamole they had to freeze in separate containers, and tri-tip steaks that were really quite tasty. They ate pizza on their way out with other happy visitors to Costco, who would all go home and say that they never wanted to go back to that warehouse again but they would go back again soon. The secret to the huge store's big success wasn't the low, low prices on everyday items. It was the tasty hot dogs and pizza. Once they made their purchases, people had to file out past a low-priced food emporium. At the windows of the food emporium, you could get hot dogs, pizza with lots of topping, and blackberry smoothies. A smoothie is a fruity drink that people think is healthy, but is really about as good for you as a milkshake. Milkshakes are made from ice cream. Ice cream contains large amount of fat, 
carbs, and sugar. None of these things will impress the dietary application on anybody's smartphone. Once anyone saw the pizza with all the toppings and smelled its lovely aroma, they couldn't help but stop on their way out of the store to buy a slice or two or a whole entire pie. A pie was another name for a pizza. The pizza pie came in a big round circle that looked like a full moon. It was covered with sausage and pepperoni and black olives and onions and mushrooms instead of craters and flags that once famous Americans had planted there. The pizza really was quite tasty. But its dietary information would not convince anyone of upcoming success or happiness. If it was labeled or advertised with any of these things, people would have stayed away. Instead, it was just the aroma that people smelled and the sight of other people eating the pizza and looking happy that made them buy it. The pizza made them happy for approximately a half hour, maybe 20 minutes. This was enough time to get back to their cars, load up their purchases, and drive halfway home. When they got this far, they realized how much of a pain it would be to unload all the things they'd bought and to find places to store it all. People were often heard to say things like, Oh, crap! And, What the hell was I thinking? When they got home from Costco. Still, they went. Artemis Kellogg came from a family of school teachers, as I have said. One of them, his grandfather Themis, had left the school teaching business to open up a hardware store in Kirkland. He called it Kirkland Hardware because of the town name, not because it was his last name. I can tell you on good authority, and Artemis Kellogg always swore to it that Themis Kirkland had named his store after the town. He really was not a vain man and didn't like to self-promote. Artemis Kellogg, on the other hand, wanted to self-promote. Kellogg wanted to be a famous movie director one day. He hadn't directed anything yet. He hadn't done any self-promoting either, but he wanted to one day. For a long time, Artemis Kellogg had wanted to be a famous writer, but then he wised up. Once you wised up, you realized that all the fame and money was in directing these days. This really was a no-brainer, as people like to say. Before he could direct, though, Kellogg needed to write a screenplay. A good screenplay. That would take work. And that, my friends, is the end of chapter one of the director's cut of As Much Protein as an Egg. I don't have sound effects to go between the chapters or the sections or behind my voice or a fancy <clears throat> theme song at the beginning even. And I might even cough sometimes and only turn my head away but not go back to edit it. Oh, the times are changing. We're here in the coronavirus days. I read that story Tuesday for you guys last week, and I realized that I missed putting out podcasts. I also realized that that story was written by a very different me almost 20 years ago now. It seemed pretty short, kind of spare, sort of minimalist in the way that Carver's second collection is what we talk about when we talk about love. That was the one that Gordon Lish really edited heavily. So, if I was to redo that story, I would write more of that day. Or if I was going to write more of that story, 
I would write the rest of the day. The kid going back to his house and getting his friends together and going to class or workshop and having a talk about what was new and different in the world and people talking about Muslim Americans and what must be done and why these things might have happened and what we had done as Americans or America had done to set ourselves up. It wasn't a pretty conversation and it wasn't clean and it ended with many of us at a sushi restaurant in Iowa City, which isn't a good place to get sushi, but if you're there and you're looking for food, sushi is far from the worst that you can do. And I'm homeschooling now, which is a part of my life. And here comes my daughter. So I'm going to pause.